How do you plan for the future? You know, what are you going to uh, do tomorrow, next week, next year, ten years from now, at retirement, if that ever comes? What kind of goals do you have? Do you know where you want to be and what you want to have accomplished by the time you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever? You know, there are a lot of goal-setting and future-planning advocates speaking out today saying that we should know such things. We're told we must plan and stick to the plan if we want to achieve anything in life. You know, to fail to plan is what? To plan to fail, we're told. Well, this kind of thinking is pretty standard in the business world. And I think appropriate with projections and trend analysis and production goals. And it's filtering into the church. Now, it's not uncommon to hear a church growth expert speak of the need to develop a five-year or a ten-year plan. The need to calculate how many members you're going to have, what attendance will be, the size of the budget. You know, projected building expansion, the number of additional staff you're going to need, and on and on and, and on. The big problem with churches, we're told, is that they only plan from one service to the next. The preacher is told to make goals, to strive to, to achieve those goals. There's also a trend in mission work. We're told the church needs to formulate a strategy for missions, to, to target special, specific areas where the most response is being seen, and then decide where we will be and how many churches we'll establish in each area over the next uh, 10 or 15 or 20 years. You know, plan, plan, plan. Get it all figured out in life in business, in ministry, and then head for it. Well, now, as you may have noticed over the years, I really haven't bought in to that kind of thinking. I do see the need for some advanced planning. I think responsibility requires that we make some provision for the future, and I do see the need to plan beyond next Sunday in church. But all these long-range goals and plans and projections and schedules to meet them make me uncomfortable. Now, where does the Lord fit in to all of this? You know, do we just assume that when we get a plan that God gave it to us and then we hang on to that plan and go from there? I think that can be a bit presumptive. To assume a thought we had or a plan we made is exactly what God wants us to do for the next 20 years. How does all this planning and programming and goal setting fit in with what we read in James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14? James writes, 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Could it be? The sum of the management ideas that have filtered into our lives and into the life of the church are of the world and really don't belong here. Are there dangers that have been overlooked? Is this really the way Jesus operated? We, we understand from the creation He knew what he was going to have to do, but on a day-by-day basis and for 33 years, is that the way he operated? Or what about Paul? How did he operate? Did he plan, 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 and follow the plan? I'm not, not so sure. In fact, our passage for today this morning tends to make me think that Paul would probably give church growth planners, and management consultants' ulcers. It seems to me that Paul held the reins of his life in a loose hand. See if you don't agree. We're picking up our study, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 5 through 9. But I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I shall stay with you, or even spend the winter, that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. What do you think? What do you think about Paul's planning here? You know, he starts out sounding pretty sure of his plans. He says, I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. You know, he's definitely planned to come to Corinth. And he makes it clear that he's planning on coming there after going through Macedonia. His immediate short-term goal is pretty well in focus. I think that's one point for planning. But from there on, everything gets just a little bit fuzzy. He says, perhaps I shall stay with you or even spend the winter. What does he mean, perhaps? Perhaps, you know. Doesn't he know? Hasn't his itinerary been set? Now, he's an important man. He's an apostle. He's planned a tour through Macedonia, no doubt to visit the churches that he planted there and to check on their progress. And he's coming to Corinth to personally straighten out some problems that are there. You know, surely he's on a schedule. Reservations have been made well in advance, and he knows where he's going to be and how long he's going to be there. And surely financial arrangements have been made for the journey, you know. He wouldn't start on a missionary journey without adequate resources to finish it, would he? So why does he say that you may send me on my way? You know, we know that he didn't, didn't want them to support him when he was there. 
You know, he's already made that clear in his letter. You know, he could always make tents to get food to eat. But it does look like he was hoping that they would help him get to the next point in his journey. And that point was wherever I may go. <laughs> Didn't he know? Well, yeah, yeah. He knew that he was heading to Jerusalem because he said that he would accompany their offering if it was fitting for him to do so. But apparently he wasn't sure of the route that he would take or where he would stop along the way. I don't know, it looks to me like Paul needs to get a little more organized here. And he goes on to say that when he gets to Corinth, he doesn't just want to pass through, but he hopes to be able to remain there for some time if the Lord permits. And as he said earlier, maybe he'd even spend the winter there. Now, those are his future plans, as indefinite as they were. But for now, he adds, I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, the best we can figure, Paul was writing this toward the end of winter. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover, well into spring, and that's when the shipping lanes would open up again in the Aegean Sea. So it appears he's indicating that when the weather gets better, or it doesn't snow, he'd head to Macedonia and eventually get to Corinth. Now, he didn't have to. To wait. He didn't have to wait. Uh, he could travel by land most of the way. But he wasn't in a hurry to leave Ephesus. He said a, a wide door for effective service had opened in Ephesus. And we do know from Acts that, that Paul did have a unique opportunity in Ephesus. After being kicked out of the synagogue, he started teaching daily in the school of Tyrannus and did so for two years. People from all over Asia were coming to Ephesus to learn of Jesus, and the gospel was spreading like wildfire. So a door was definitely open in Ephesus, and Paul wasn't in a hurry to leave. But then he added, there are many adversaries. Now, is that just a side note? totally unrelated to the open door he felt was open for the gospel in Ephesus? Or was he intentionally linking his adversaries with the opportunities? Now, I think he saw a positive linkage between the two. Now, if the gospel is doing what it's supposed to do, many will be offended and even threatened by it. So having adversaries is a sign that the gospel is being heard. Okay? And Acts tells us that the silversmiths were really upset with Paul because after hearing about Jesus, people quit buying their silver idols. You know, Paul had destroyed the market for idols in Ephesus, and, and they didn't like it. But obviously that was a good thing for a couple of reasons. Obviously it was good that people were giving up their false gods. But evidently, Paul also found encouragement in the opposition it had caused. And it was the combination of an open door and many adversaries that made him want to stay in town. I think this is really interesting. You know, if a door isn't open and everyone is against you, you can probably assume God doesn't want you there. And it's 
time to look for another area or avenue of ministry. On the other hand, if the door seems wide open for service and no one is against you, you better watch out. Satan may be leading you down a primrose path to ineffectiveness. An open door and adversaries seems to be the right combination for finding God's direction in ministry. And accordingly, Paul wanted to stay in Ephesus at least until Pentecost. So what do you think of Paul's planning here? Now, he seems to have made some immediate short-range goals, and he knew in general where he was heading. But his commitments were flexible. And he left room in his schedule for circumstances of life, like shipping lanes, for open doors, and for God's provision along the way. He didn't have to have everything programmed into his Palm Pilot or whatever his I think. I guess nah, that was another generation ago, right? Uh, yeah, wh- whatever it is, you know. He didn't have to have it engraved in stone. How's that? <laughs> that that's, that's, that? that's better. That's better. Okay. Right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have a rigid schedule to keep or projections to meet. You know, I, again, some I'm afraid to be appalled by that approach to life and business and ministry. They'd probably be trying to sign Paul up for a church growth through time management and goal setting seminar. They do exist. Well, maybe he didn't plan and schedule and project like he should have for himself, but But surely Paul knew how to organize others and how to call the shots to get the job done. Didn't he? I don't know. As we read on, it looks like he he also kept loose reins on others. Verses 10 through 12. Now, if Timothy comes... See that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he's doing the Lord's work, as I also am. Let no one therefore despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Paul begins, now if Timothy comes. Now he's already told us back in chapter 4 that he had sent Timothy to Corinth. Why does he now say if? I'm not sure. Now some translate the word if as when, and it, it can have that sense about it, but I don't think that's what Paul was saying. I think he's saying if. He wasn't certain of Timothy's plans. And he didn't feel a need to know his every move. Timothy was his son in the faith and no doubt sought his advice and took his counsel seriously. 
But Paul trusted that he was doing the Lord's work the same as he was. And trusted that he was following the Lord's direction. Timothy had his ministry to perform. And Paul not only recognized that fact, but made it very clear that he expected the Corinthians to recognize it and to support him in his ministry. He was young and apparently timid or at least unassuming by nature. It would be easy for them to intimidate him and pay little heed to what he had to say. But Paul makes it clear that he viewed Timothy as a co-worker in Christ and expected him to be treated as they would treat he himself. Besides, we know from Acts that Timothy and Erastus went on a mission through Macedonia before coming to Corinth. So Paul couldn't have known everywhere they were going and everything he was doing. And even if he could have, I don't think Paul would have expected Timothy to report in all the time and ask what to do next. Even though they worked together and Paul no doubt gave direction to Timothy's ministry, the reins he held on Timothy were very loose indeed. And then did you catch what he said about Apollos? The Apostle Paul had encouraged him greatly to go to Corinth. But he didn't want to go. So he didn't. (laughs) Now, what what does that do to the chain of command and a tight organizational structure? You know, how can we get anything done if everyone goes off in different directions and They won't let the man at the top call the shots. There are those today who claim that's what's wrong with the church. We have degrees in leadership in our Bible colleges now, teaching you how to, to lead. They suggest the problem in churches is, you know, we're all chiefs and no endings. Everybody's doing their own thing. And what we need is a a highly structured pyramid of power in the church, and someone called the pastor should be in command. What he says should be done, no questions asked. Things should be done his way, according to his direction, in keeping with his goals and priorities and the vision he has cast. He's the vision caster for our organization. That's the way to get things done, we're told. Now, it it works in business, and it will work in the church, or so we're told. But that's not how Paul functioned. And if anyone could have, he could have. He was an apostle. He had special authority from Christ himself. He could have dominated everyone and lorded it over them. But he didn't. He didn't even try to keep tight reins on others. Why not? Well, I think it's for the very same reason he didn't try to keep tight reins on his own life. He recognized the Lord of the reins. Uh, Come on, that's good. (laughs) Who said not really? Jack? All right. Uh, let, let's, let's go back to James. 
Let's go back to James chapter 4 for a moment and reread verses 13 and 14, then go on to verse 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. If the Lord wills, that's, that's the key. And Paul specifically said in verse 7, if the Lord permits. He recognized God's authority over his life. And he wanted to make certain that God had a direct hand in all that he did. He did not assume his plans were God's plans and then proceed to write down God's 10-year plan for his life. He had some idea where he was going. He had a divinely given mission to fulfill, but he still left room for God to lead on a day-by-day -day basis. He set the course that he felt God wanted him to follow, but he left room for God to intervene and overrule his plans at any time. He had short-range goals and objectives, but he made his commitments flexible enough to be easily changed. He wasn't afraid to venture out on faith, trusting God to provide but he didn't lock himself into a situation where God had to get him off the hook. I've seen that so many times over the years. Where someone gets this plan they think is God's plan, and they commit God's people to a, an unbelievable financial obligation. And then say, well, the Lord will provide. I mean, they're putting God in a position... of doing something that God may not have wanted done. You've got to find a balance there. You've got to be very careful. Very careful. You know, if Paul didn't have the funds to go on from Corinth, he could stay longer. He didn't get all stressed out when his plans were put on hold or even canceled. He waited for the winter storm to pass before boarding ship to Macedonia, and trusted that God could make good use of the, of, of the, the delay. He, he always left room for an open door. Sometimes we get so locked into a course that, that we miss opportunities all around us. So God lays at our feet. We've got some big plan, and we miss the immediate plans that God has for us. We need to stay flexible. Now, now, again, Paul didn't just wander through life aimlessly, blindly hoping that God would lead him where he wanted him. He wasn't afraid to take the reins and head where he figured God wanted him to go, but he always held the reins loosely so God could easily direct him at any time. You know, God does not force his will upon us. He's given us free, free will. 
He has. He doesn't hit us with a lightning bolt when we make a bad decision and say, get back on course now. He teaches us in his word. He guides us with his spirit. He gives us a body of believers to confirm what we think God would have us do. We express the gifts that God has given to us. And then we walk by faith. We walk by faith. Keeping it as open as we can for God to change what we think his will is for our lives. I think it's important. It's very important. And the Apostle Paul also kept loose reins on the lives of others. He wasn't, I'm sorry, Lord of the reins. God was. God was. He didn't want to be in conflict with what God was trying to do in someone else's life. You know, he might be able to help a brother discern God's direction and make helpful suggestions, but the same God who had authority over Paul's life had authority over his brother's life as well. And Paul was confident that the Holy Spirit could direct Timothy and Apollos just as well as he could direct an apostle. I think that's something we need to remember. No one has an exclusive on the Holy Spirit. I don't. Neither do you. So while we're supposed to help guide one another into maturity and into effective service, let's never try to keep such a tight rein on anyone that they can't follow where they have determined God is leading them. I believe every one of us Every one of us must surrender to the Lord of the reigns and go where he wants us to go. You know, Jesse told me some years ago that churches were stopping their support of his ministry in Asian Christian missions. I mean, we've been with Jesse for 40 years. And they quit because they asked for a, a five-year plan for his mission or a ten-year plan. He didn't have one he could send to them. They said, oh, well, we don't. Okay, we're done. How stupid. How short-sighted. How blind to the way God works in the kingdom. You know, again, it, I think we should have some idea where we're supposed to go. We've been commissioned to a great job. We've been equipped to do what God wants us to do. We need to be careful about saying we got it all figured out. You know, years ago, we decided that we would not keep official meetings, uh, uh, elders meeting notes. You say, what? Well, I was at a church one other time where every time something was brought up, somebody said, now wait a minute. Five years ago, the elders said, I'm going, wait a minute. Maybe what the elders determined five years ago was what God wanted the church to do five years ago. But doesn't God still work to the body today? Are we to lock ourselves in the decision of someone five or ten years ago? No. We walk by faith day by day. And I'm so thankful that we have men who are committed to that daily walk. You know, our plans get blown apart at times. Things we thought were going to take place don't take place. But we understand who's in control. And we don't lose faith. 
We let God work. We let him have a hand in what we're doing. We don't want to be so blind and hard-headed that he can't get through to us. I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the confidence you have in the leadership of this church and your willingness to follow and to trust, but yet also your freedom to express and to question and to offer your thoughts and opinions. We're all the body together. Our goal is to be what God wants us to be and to walk by faith wherever he wants us so he can use us any way he chooses to use us. To break that down to an individual level, are you committed to letting him lead? Have you acknowledged him as Lord? Have you searched his word for written directions? You know, sometimes we get this vague idea that to follow the Lord, we just have to get some feeling. Start in his word, okay? Get in the word. Get in that ancient word. You'd be surprised how relevant it is to decisions you make on a daily basis. But you've got to be in it. You've got to know it if it's going to give direction to your life. So get in the word. Look in there. How does this apply to me, Lord? What does this say about my priorities? What does this say about what I think is important? And take the word as it's written. And let the Spirit take that word and let it blossom and apply it to the daily decisions that you make. This is so important. So important. You know, have you have you honestly told the Lord you want him to lead? Have you made that personal commitment? You know, we make commitments public at times. And that's good. It creates a body of accountability. You also need to be making commitments regularly and daily and privately and as a family, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids. Are we making those commitments? Are we yielding to his lordship? Are we saying, use me, lead me, guide me anywhere you want? I remember years ago, I was in a ministry with someone, and one of his favorite songs was, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. It's a great song. But then he told me he decided it was time to move on, and they decided that they would move either to Indiana or maybe Ohio, but no further. I go, wait a minute. So we set little parameters, and then we say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. Come on. If you mean it, sing it. Okay? Stay open. God can lead us. He can guide us. We've got to let him be Lord of the reins. We've got to hand the reins of our life to him. And then when he sets them in our hands, we hang on to them loosely. And we say, Lord, it's not about my will. It's about yours. If the Lord wills, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll walk in a way that keeps me sensitive to his will. I'll not just say it and then put on blinders. 
and trudge through life meeting my goals and my objectives and my purposes and reading everything that tells me what I need to do to win in this world. I'll be in the Word. I'll walk by faith. And I'll mean it. When I say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I trust that's your prayer. Would you stand?